You're listening to The Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. The Togetherings are recorded conversations with Alaskans from all walks of life, sharing their perspectives on big questions that touch us all. Each series shares a common theme that is explored across episodes. Hello, and welcome to The Togetherings, hosted live by the Alaska Humanities Forum here on KONR LP Anchorage with Indra Ariaga. My name is Sarah Richmond, and I'm your host tonight. This is the first Togethering, a series of three participatory conversations conceived around a central theme. The theme of this first series of Togetherings is taboos, and in the series, we'll explore three themes— Rage, death, and shame. Tonight's topic is death. Before we start the conversation tonight, let's take a moment to acknowledge the place where we are. This studio of KONR Out North Radio is located in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional land of the Denaina people. Live on the phone with us, we have Stephen Sisiski and Fran Voss, who will participate in tonight's conversation about death. Stephen is a photographer and retired UAF professor joining this conversation from Fairbanks, Alaska. And Fran Voss is a former hospice nurse joining this conversation from Oregon. Thank you for being with us tonight. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sarah. I want to start out this conversation um, with this question. Why are we afraid of dying? Fran, would you be able to get us started with some um, observations? So that's a difficult question, Sarah, because it's um, so subjective. We have a fear of dying because we have a fear of missing out. I think from what you said, I'm 74, and so I've, um, the, the fact of death is becoming more real, um, by the month, uh, and that knowing that I've made an impact or that I have not wasted my life or done something useful with my life or that when I die, I know that um, at least the little influences I've had have improved other people's lives does make it easier. It's I could look back and say, I've lived a life um, that made a difference. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that gives me a lot of comfort. And um, and it's still something, the idea of making a difference is something that um, I refer to a lot as what I do today and tomorrow also. Mm-hmm. That's and interesting. That doesn't mean it's not afraid. I mean, yeah. it, it's just, I, I, I'm not sure if death is afraid. It would be the sickness or the diff, all the different things that can happen bring the process of death immediately, uh, makes it real, makes it so it's like tomorrow or the next day, accident mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's or, or pain or, a, or losing my capabilities or all those mm-hmm. things are fearful, because none of that is known. So, Stephen, it sounds to me that what you're saying is that you're more 
afraid of the process of dying than necessarily death itself. The many different paths to death, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's not uncommon. Um, oh, with, nuts. <laughs> it, in, with um, you know, talking to, to patients that I've had through hospice, that, that um, fear of pain, fear of being uncomfortable is, is part of, of what the, you know, the dread is. Also, um, the fear of leaving family and not being there to comfort them. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a different kind of, of thing. Um, because in a way, not having to worry about the different things, I mean, I can imagine sometimes just letting it all go because I can't do anything about it anymore, so it's no longer... Mm -hmm my problem <laughs> you know uh -huh. the, and that 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 it, as long as I've done as I've tied up as many loose ends as I can uh -huh. and I know that I've been responsible I can see how yeah. that could be a relief to just let it go because I know I've done what I can do um, you know there's a um a face that we show to the world and it's the, the, the identity that we've built up around ourselves. So, so for instance, um, when I became pregnant with my, my children, I had this sense of this, um, like this golden energy coming to my body. And that, that through pregnancy, the, you know, I could feel the cell, you know, cells growing around this energy and, and when they were born, there was, there was the, these little bodies, but I could still feel that, you know, golden light or whatever it was. And as they grew up, I, I watched the, you know, the denser stuff of life um, glom onto that energy and form who they were and their personalities and how they related to the world, et cetera, et cetera. And when I became a hospice nurse, one of the things that was pretty common among all of my patients was the, um, the need to figure out who they were beyond the face that they showed to the world. Because when you're dying, all that falls away. That, you know, you're, you might have lived your life as a nuclear physicist, but here you are, none of that serves you. And, and so the question is, and, and you'll see this in, in literature, death and dying, you, who dies? What is it, what is it that dies? And, you know, a, a lot of the fear about death stems from not being willing to really fully look at that question and to grasp onto that face that we show the world as our, as our only identity. I'm thinking about that. I'm, I mean, what I think about is that if, if when I die, what's left is the reverberations of my life and the people that I've had contact with. Mm -hmm. And I've been lucky in to be able to stay in contact with 
many of the people. I was a high school counselor at one time at West High School for Indian Education, among other things. Mm -hmm. We started a group home for street kids in Anchorage, primarily in the boarding home program from rural Alaska called All of Us many years ago. Those people through Facebook and other things, are st we're still in contact with each other. Oh, that's lovely. And so I, it's given me a real comfort and seeing also um, my daughters becoming who they are and developing their identities and their strengths and their individuality and um, being very happy and thankful for how they've become. So that becomes an important part of when I think of when I die, that I know that I've made a difference. Mm -hmm. um, that sense of the corporate identity or professional identity and those kinds of things. Um, I've been lucky that my jobs have been related to my values and what I believe and who I am. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't felt that alienation from myself in the roles that I've had to play. Mm -hmm. I'm um, going to jump in here. Except maybe a summer job when I was... Um, in college or out of high school or something like that, most of the jobs I've done are related to what I believe. Ah. Hi, Fran. And I've been so, lucky that way. Stephen, yeah. can you so, hear me? So being able to have that legacy to leave behind you. Yes. Yeah. I think we might have Sarah back. I heard a vague comment, and <laughs> she Hello, can join well, in can if you, she wants. Can you hear me here? <laughs> we, yeah, we lost you. Oh, yes. Well, you did a really wonderful job carrying on the conversation <laughs> just between the two of you, so I almost hate to jump in. Um, Please do. Stephen, I was really interested earlier on, you said, um, you know, lately, as you get older, death has become more real to you. Um, do you think death remains something that's not real to most of us? Or I guess to you personally oh, earlier on? I don't want to be judgmental or, um, but I mean, in our society, um, death is not something that people acknowledge or they develop ways to, to hide from or to protect themselves from or to create ideas about what death is that eliminates death from death. Um, at least I think that way. And uh, so I, I think a lot of people um, have hidden themselves from death you through know, religion we, and through all sorts of ways. Well, skipping, if you think about when, like, when your dog dies or your cat dies and people say, oh, they're going to a better life, they're going to past the go past the rainbow bridge and all that kind of crazy stuff no the dog really died and you're really going to miss it yeah i think there's a lot of inclination to to uh hide from the reality that when we die we're dead 
Yeah, I'm hearing you connect um, our fear of death with what I see a lot of our fear of grief in our culture and not wanting to admit something that's going to make us feel so sad. Um, Maybe there's a connection there between how we see our own death and how we allow ourselves to grieve the deaths of those around us who we love. I'm not sure. I mean, I think people who don't believe in death are almost more grieving because they think the person's still alive. You know, there's more a sense of missing instead of that the person's really dead. It's like the person's just someplace else that they can't communicate with right now or maybe can by prayer. And so that there's more of a sense they can't let the people die. I want to go ahead and pose another question to Stephen and Fran. Um, I would love to hear both of your thoughts on when you think we should talk about death and how you start that conversation. Fran, would you like to start us off? Sure. I think that um, the conversation should be started early, even in childhood, only because, um, well, not only because, because I think that death is part of life. And I don't know where where I lost you the last time. Um, but, but I have learned so much about living life from conversations about death with my, with my patients and, and with my grandchildren that um, being able to talk openly normalizes it and um, ah, makes it less fearful. I, am a, I teach nursing and we do a, a term that we, where we teach death and dying and symptom management, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things, the exercises we have them do is to fill out an advanced directive. And I think that, um, you know, so many people are afraid to fill out advanced directives because they feel like it's morbid to talk about death. I know my own children had had trouble when I sat down with them um, wanting to talk about my wishes at the time of death. But it's important if you want to have any control over how you want the process of your dying to play out, your family should know because you might not be able to talk, to speak for yourself. So... The conversation of um, just the advanced directive. How do, what do I want to have my life um, prolonged at all costs? Or is it more important to me to die peacefully and comfortably if there's no more that really can reasonably be done? You know, if there, is there quality versus quantity of life? And so I would suggest that, 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 Anybody sit down and have their conversation with whoever it is that would be the person that would be the one to have to make decisions or that you might want to pick the person who will be your voice if you can't speak for yourself. So um, there's that aspect. You know, you bring up a really interesting point, which is 
when we talk about death, um, there's, you know, these big questions about life and mortality and spirituality, but then there are a lot of very concrete questions and logistics um, that belong in that conversation too. And it seems to me that they often happen in separate fears, and I wonder if um, there are ways to connect those two conversations. The conversation between um, the the existential angst that we feel when we speak about death and the um, practical logistics. Yes, is that exactly. what you're saying, Sarah? Yeah. Uh, yes. You know, I, I think that the the um, the existential angst is one of the reasons that it's so difficult for people to actually sit down and talk about the advanced directive. So, um, which is one of the reasons why, oh. why I'm happy to have that conversation with my grandchildren and my children early, early on. Uh, you know, we, we celebrate birth in, in such wonderful ways. We gather around and we welcome this soul coming into this life. And we don't have that same acceptance about the, the, the gathering around and the preparation for the soul exiting this life. And so, so the easing of the existential angst to me is being able to just take the words fear and um, you know all all of the other all of the other scare words that we have when we talk about death and say let's put that aside and and let's say you know what does what does it mean so, Sarah, I would ask you, because that's, that's, you know, this, you are that generation that I'm talking about, about saying, start early, talk about it early. And so I, I know that you have experienced, um, you've had deaths in your family, and probably those conversations with your, your mom about being able to be prepared, being able to talk about it. And, and maybe even witnessed um, some reluctance from family members to talk about about death. How has that impacted you and changed your view of dying? Absolutely. I think um, I think seeing um, how it brings up fear in people who I typically don't see express that. Um, you know, because mm -hmm. I think. Death is the ultimate vulnerability, but fear is one of the most vulnerable places you can be in, too, to, to let others know that you're afraid of something. Um, and so seeing that in people who I am close to, people in my family, people I share community with, that fear, um, and only seeing it in those times of crisis when they have no option but to confront the fact that someone they care about is dying, the people who have had the conversation about this is what I would like my death to look like and have like readings or prayers or music or um, some kind of little rituals around it are much more comfortable. That they, it's almost like 
they know they've they've looked at the roadmap together and they know where they're going with it. Yeah. Even though death is unknown, the process of dying can no, can be better known. And and that is, of course, talking from the perspective of a hospice nurse, you know, where where death is expected. Um, you know, sudden death is is a another thing entirely. But that's also one of the reasons why that conversation is so important early on. So 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 my point is that 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 sudden and unexpected events make it even more important to have the conversation about what do you want to have done? Because when you're shocked and, and, and grieving is not the time to try to think rationally or to second guess what someone might want to have happen. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons Hello? that early conversations are so important. I wonder, one thing I hear a lot is that death is more painful for the people left behind than the person who's passing. And I'm curious with what you were saying about, you know, the value in asking people to prepare what they would like to happen surrounding their own death. Do you think that's for them or for the people they're leaving behind? Or is it for both? Well, I think that's it's two different. Uh, we're talking about two different things. So how you want to, the conversation about how you want your death to be is very much like, like people do a birth plan. And so you could, you could almost call it um, a, a death plan that um, this is, this is, this is what will support and comfort me during the process of dying. Um, it has extra benefit of giving um, tasks to people who are um, doing something they've never done before, the family, helping someone die. It gives them tasks that they know will comfort the person who's dying. Um, making big plans for your own funeral. A lot of people do that. Um, and, uh, you know, I have, I have my own personal feelings about that, that I think funerals are for the living. And... Um, and that coming together to grieve as a community is an important part of moving through grief. So, um, you know, I think, you know, having the conversation of what the funeral will be, be like is, is not unhealthy, but to allow, allow the families and friends to grieve and, and celebrate the life in the way that gives meaning to their continuing. And I think that that we have lost the um, the value of grieving together as community. Mm -hmm. uh, I I I grief. There's nothing wrong with grief, and and I think that when you grieve someone you love, you honor them. Earlier, Stephen, Fran, and I were discussing this question of how we should talk about death and when those conversations should start. Would you be able to weigh in on that? Sure. Um, I, I share often with people the five recollections in Buddhism that we're going to we'll go, grow old, we'll get sick, we'll die, we'll lose um, contact with those that we value, and that we'll 
have contact with those that we don't value and that the only thing that really um, we carry with us is our deeds and our acts. And in a very weird way, that's very comforting if we really accept that we really will um, get sick, we really will get old, we really will die, people we value will die and will leave, and that if we look at that um, and remind ourselves of it, then we aren't surprised that we can prepare ourselves. And so, to me, to, to me, it's time to talk about death every day. It's a Buddhist practice. Yes, it is. But it's also, independently of that, it's very, it's comforting to accept that reality and look at that reality and not hide from that reality. Then we aren't surprised and tiptoeing around. Um, and we also realize the common experiences that all humans share. We all share those things. Mm-hmm. And and we can prepare and we can feel empathy for and compassion for this shared experience of living. Because we will get sick. We will lose our friends. We will get old and we will die. So I think the more that we live in that grounded reality, the less scary it becomes, the more we can prepare and the more we can help others. Because we share the common grief, we share the common fear, we share the common experiences, and when we share, we can listen fully. We don't feel, oh, that's your problem, not mine. We feel a common bond with each other because these are common bonds that humans have. And we don't get scared and push it away because um, we know we all share those experiences. Listening to people is really the best thing you can do. Yeah, what I'm hearing from you, Stephen, is um, that the way we approach many things, death included, needs to be more collective and more communal and perhaps more less individualized. I think, I mean, I don't know what more to add than, than what I shared but I do know that when I initially like copy and paste the five recollections and send them some people in the context of some discussion, sometimes people say, why are you thinking that way? Don't think that way. You know, Stephen, that's a really interesting perspective because um, in traveling around and doing seminars on, on death and dying, once people have permission to start talking about death, the floodgates open. And yes. so I, I love what you said about the healing that we do is how we listen deeply and giving permission for people to voice what they, what they need to around death and dying is, is a really great gift. 